see you today. Not just a, a, a good morning, it's a great morning, right? Am I right? Warrior fans? Yeah? Yeah? That's right? Yeah, uh, for those of you who might not have been aware, uh, yesterday the, the Lebanon Warriors, uh, our high school, won the state 5A football championship. So, uh, big deal uh, for our community, for our school. Never had happened in the, the Lebanon, history of Lebanon High School before. So, uh, I was honored to be able to be a part of that. I'm just a small part. I'm a freshman football coach, so my impact isn't uh, that great on, on that team. However, it's a, it was just an honor to be able to coach them way back four years ago when they were freshmen and to see those seniors grow. And, and uh, Southside has a lot of ties to that team. Jacob and Leif Kripe from, from here at Southside are, were key uh, parts of that team. And, and Charles and Mary's grandson, Seth, is a part of that team. And I'm sure that uh, many of you others have uh, connections to, to those kids, but... Um, yeah, an amazing, amazing uh, uh, community that we get to be a part of. And, and was anyone here around town yesterday about 2 o'clock and uh, see the ruckus that was caused by David Dominey and his sirens as he, and, and our fire department as they escorted us through town? It was, it was really incredible, and the community really rallied around, around uh, the team. So it was a, a joy, and I'm sure you're going get, to get to hear lots of illustrations over the coming weeks about about winning state championships, because now I get to be, I, I have experience in that now, so you know, proud to be a part of it, definitely, and thank you for putting up with my, my football stories. You know, uh, you know, looking around the room, I see a lot of people who played at Lebanon over the years, and, and all of those people who contributed to that, and, and it's, a, it's a great, again, testimony to this town and community, so um, I had to say something, and as you might notice, I had to represent the LW this morning, so uh, yeah. Well, uh, as much as I, I love football, and I love winning a state championship, and I could talk about it all day, we have more important matters to, to talk about this morning. Uh, last night, as we were getting off the, the bus and wrapping things up and getting the kids home, the coaches were like, oh, we're all going over to one of the coach, Coach Joe's home, and, and uh, it was about 11.30 at night, and, and I said, well, I got to go. Well, come on, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, you know, we, I got to get up in about five hours to be down at church. I, I get to preach the gospel. And as much as fun as, uh, as winning a championship is, uh, eternally, what we get to do here each week has so much more of an impact. So as I transition out of the excitement, and by the way, I'm a little disappointed. I didn't get a single high five on the way up this morning. Thankfully, I didn't get any of the other uh, low fives that take place in football. So thank you for avoiding those this morning. All right, but let's have a word of prayer as we begin. God, we, we, uh, we take great joy in serving you. God, you have created this, uh, this amazing place, this earth that we get to be a part of and live on for our pleasure, for your glory, and we are grateful, Father, that we get to serve you, that we get to love you, we get to be loved by you, and that we get to praise the name of your Son and lift your name high as well. And so, God, we pray that our praise and worship of you this morning has been worthy of who you are. And I pray, Father, that our time in the Word will be guided by your Spirit. And may, may the time that we have here together today, may it make us more like your Son. So thank you, and we ask for blessings upon our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you know, this month, we've, uh, the intention of my heart, as I prepared for November 2016, way back about a year ago, was to do the whole month on giving, on the various aspects of giving, of how we give and why we give and, and what we give and our attitude behind our giving. And I was really looking forward to it, believe it or not. And uh, then life happened, right? And uh, 
I got sick one week, and then we ended up having a guest speaker who, who Jeff did a great job last week, but, but the, the uh, sermon idea that I gave him, he just kind of went, whoop, and I'll talk about something different. And so now my four weeks of, of, of planning have kind of folded into two weeks. So this morning, I'm going to combine a couple different sermons into one. And so there's two different stories that I was going to kind of talk about separate that I'm going to bring together. And actually, as I did that, as I worked on that this week, it was amazing how these two stories fit together. Maybe it was God's plan in the first place. But um, I'm going to tell you two stories. But for first, before I get there, I forgot. The series was called I Like Giving. So every week I was going to have you guys say it. And since I've only had you guys do it once, we get to practice again one more time today. So uh, we're all going to say it together. I Like Giving. And I want to see, I want to see the thumbs, right, the thumbs up, and I definitely want to feel the smile and joy on your face, how you mean this, right? So on the count of three, one, two, three, I like giving. I almost believed it. I almost believed it. That's, that's pretty good. Um, today we're going to look at two stories from Scripture. The first one comes from the book of Mark, and it's found in chapter 12 of Mark, and you're probably familiar with it. If you're familiar with the Bible, uh, even just a little bit, you've probably heard the story of the widow's mite, the widow's mite, and the mite was a, was a terminology for a, a coin, and so maybe you've heard that, this story, but we're going to look at it a, a little bit today. It says this in, in Mark chapter 12, let me set the stage just a little bit. Jesus had been teaching at the, at the temple. Uh, he had been interacting with uh, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I still have a little bit of a voice from yesterday, but not much. <coughs> and, and there was, had been some interacting back and forth, and, and he was just kind of dialoguing, debating, and, and teaching his disciples. And uh, he was watching something take place. He was watching some, some giving of offerings. And this is what happened as he sat there watching. It says, he sat down opposite the treasury, and he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in a large sum, in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. An amazing story of this, of this uh, widow lady. And now... There's a few things that captured my attention as I read through this story, and before we kind of get into the, the heart of, of what this story is about, I, I wanted to pull out kind of a couple things that, that uh, struck my heart and my mind and my interests, and, and maybe these are bunny trails, I don't know, but they were interesting to me. The first is that here we find this small, short little vignette, the small little story that Jesus told of a widow lady. Now, what's interesting here to me is that in the first century world, a, a widow was not someone of, important, of importance, right? They, they were kind of uh, in a bad place in life. If you were a, a widow, your, your uh, income was probably very, very low, uh, probably didn't have uh, too many to look after you. And so we see actually in the Gospels that, that Jesus had a soft spot in his heart towards widows. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, we see this story. He had a soft spot in his heart really towards anybody who was less fortunate than the, the general populace. We see that with, with those who were beggars, those who, who were ill, those who were blinded, those who were outcasts. We see this with, with widows. And throughout, uh, throughout the Gospels, we see even at the very beginning of Jesus' life, when he was just about 40 days old, 
he was taken to the temple and he, he was blessed and prayed for. And, and Anna was the name of the lady, and we find this story in Luke chapter 2, was a widow lady. And she was about 105 years old, so she was a really old widow lady. And she had been serving in the temple for about 84 years. Uh, and, and she had been, she had devoted her life to the Lord, and he blessed her with being able to be a part of the story of Jesus' introduction to the world. And so we see God honoring a, a widow who had served him faithfully, recording her name and her actions within Scripture. In, in Luke chapter 7, we find a story where Jesus himself healed a widow lady's son. He had compassion on her. In, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus taught his disciples and those around him to not exploit widows, not take advantage of them for personal gain. In Luke chapter 18, he used a persistent widow uh, as an example of how we should pray to the Father to be persistent until, they, until we get what, what uh, the, the needs of our heart are. And uh, he influenced his disciples to the point where James, in the book of James chapter 1, talked about true religion, and true religion includes caring for uh, widows. And also, ultimately, we know that his own mother was a widow. So probably helping create, a, again, a tender part of his heart towards widows. And we see that when he was even upon the cross in agony, dying, he asked for one of his closest friends to care for his widowed mother. So we know here, we see in this story, Jesus' compassion and the tenderness of his heart towards a widow. We also uh, find within this story... This idea that even in the title of the widow's might, though within our modern translations you won't find that word might mentioned. In mine, what I just read for you this morning from the NIV, I think it was, uh, it says two small copper coins which make a penny. Some might say um, something different, two pennies. I'm not sure exactly what all the translations say, but they don't use that, that word might that came about in King James' time when a might was a small uh, currency. Of the day, uh, but within Scripture, there's kind of this, these, uh, all these terminologies for coins and money that's used, and we really don't have an understanding necessarily of what those mean, and so they really can be vague, and, and we don't have a true understanding of what's being communicated. For for example, there's the parable of the talents, or there was one, uh, there's this parable where where someone was forgiven a great deal of talents from from his uh, uh, boss, basically. And then he turned around and wouldn't forgive someone who owed him a lesser sum of money. They talk about talents in that regard. And a talent was about a year's labor, about what you would make as a, as a laborer, what you'd make. Basically, uh, about $15,000 to $20,000 in modern currency, about what a, what a minimum wage uh, person would make in a, in a year. Another uh, currency that's used is denarii. The denarii, or drachma, you might have heard it called that, um, was basically a day's worth of labor at a minimum wage, uh, so about $80 to $100. Um, here in this story, the Greek word is leptos, leptos, and leptos was, one leptos was about six minutes worth of work, okay? So if you put that within that, that kind of framework of, of talent and denarii, it was a very small amount of money. And this lady, and this poor widow lady, gave two leptos, and so she gave what a, a day laborer would make in about 10 to 15 minutes uh, of work, so not very much. Uh, within uh, history, we know that about this time uh, in, in, in her day and age, in the time of Jesus, that to buy a loaf of bread cost eight lep leptos. 
And so this lady gave about a quarter of what it would cost to buy a quarter of a loaf of bread, a very small sum. But we know from this story that she gave it, she gave everything. That was all that she had. Another little thing to, that we can pull from this story, just for, again, for our information and for our, uh, with how we interpret stories from the Bible, is that often within this passage is kind of a critique. People use it as a critique against those who give from their wealth. And so they use these two examples within the story of those who give from their wealth and then this lady who gave everything. But within this story, it's used more just as a contrast rather than criticizing or being overly critical of those who are giving. He's not standing there to criticize people who give money that are wealthy. He's really there to highlight that the fact that this lady gave from her poverty, right, from her need. And so we need to make sure as we read scriptures like this that we don't draw conclusions that really aren't there, but really focus in on the heart of the matter, right? And the heart of this story, and what it all comes down to, the heart of this story is all about the heart of the widow. That's what we really want to focus in on, the heart of this lady. Now, I read a quote about this this week that I want to share. It says, Jesus pointed out, excuse me, Jesus pointed her out because he recognized the sincerity of her heart. This woman had stood through the ages, this woman has stood through the ages as a model for giving, not simply because her giving ratio exceeded the gifts of others, but because the sacrifice indicated her deep love for God. That's really what's at the, the heart of this matter, her deep love for God. Love for God is the goal. Sacrificial giving is a means by establishing and expressing that closeness that we have with him. Right? That's what this story is about, about the generosity of her heart, the love that she had for God. This widow lady took great joy in, in giving. She wanted to honor the Lord with everything that she possessed. She could easily have used her poverty as an excuse not to give. She could have said something like this. She could have said, well, I serve at the temple kitchen two times a month. So I, I, I give of my time. I, I'm going to hold on to these two little coins. Or she could have said something like this. Maybe she said, uh, you know, I knitted a blanket for my neighbor. My neighbor was cold. They couldn't afford to keep the heat on. And so I gave of my talent. And so I'm going to hold on to these two coins. It's all I have. God will understand. Right? She could have done that. You know, I, I can identify with those excuses personally. When I graduated from Bible college, I, I entered the ministry immediately. I had a job before I actually graduated uh, from college at a church in Idaho. Uh, and I, I was a college graduate, and I had been going to college a long time before I earned my degree. I spent several years at Lynn Benton, and I went to Boise Bible College, and, and I, I had lots of opportunities of places to go to serve the Lord. But I chose a church there in in uh, Idaho with Jamie Lambert, and uh, I wanted to serve there. But to do as such, I had to take a very reduced salary. And so coming out of college with a college education, a bachelor's degree, I took basically what was less than a minimum wage-paying job to go into the ministry. And so when time came, when I received my first check, and I looked at my bills and my newly acquired student loans and the cost of my apartment and my insurance and my car payment. And, and I went, okay, where am I going to get this tithe? I remember wrestling with it and, and kind of debating it and praying it over in my mind. And 
the conclusion I came to, and, and I'm not going to say whether that was right or wrong, probably more on the wrong side, but, but the conclusion I came to at the time was I was tithing my career, right? And so I could have gotten a job that would have paid me easily twice as much money as what I was making working for the church. And so in my mind, I justified and said, my tithe is the difference between what I could make at this job over here and my job in ministry. Now, again, I think we could debate um, pretty easily that that probably wasn't the wisest decision I could have made, but for some weird way, I had justified it in my mind. But here's where it led me wrong. See, what that lady, that poor widow lady did by giving was so significant in my mind because it was an action of her that reflected her heart. It was something physical that she could do that showed not just her, but obviously these other people that were watching that she cared enough to give what she had. Now, Jesus knew her heart and he knew her life being the creator, right? Being God himself. But the people around might not have known how much she was giving, what she was giving from, but Jesus knew, and he knew my heart. The other thing that it did is it robbed me of a habit. I had a habit that I needed in my life so that when things did get better, then it was a struggle. Then it was a struggle to actually give, right? When I could actually pay my bills, when I could actually give, then I didn't have this built-in habit, and so it was a struggle. And so it took me many years to overcome that struggle. And thankfully, I married a wife who had a similar commitment to giving that I did. And so we've been able to, to, to keep our commitment and a habit in place in our life, in giving. But it, it was a fight. And I could, have, I could have removed that if I would have followed this widow lady's example. You know, we've been focusing this month on giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure. We need to do all of those things. But this poor widow lady, she set set us an example. She set us an example by living out Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Proverbs 3, 9 says this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Now, let's just be, let's just call spade a spade. Call it what it is. Giving financially can be difficult. You know, wealth is gained through hard work, through careful management, through saving and planning and and investing. It isn't grown through giving, or at least that's what the world would tell us. This is contrary to the message around us that's telling us, manage and protect your wealth. You know, this was the struggle that was faced by another person within Scripture, a young man uh, where we find his story in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, another story maybe that you've heard of, it's the story of the rich young ruler is what it's often called, but just basically it was a rich young man who came to Jesus one day with some questions. In Matthew 19, starting in verse 16, is the the, uh, retelling of his story. It says this, it says, Behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? He's asking kind of that same question we find in Acts chapter 2. Uh, when Peter preached that first sermon to the people, what do I need to do to be saved? But there must have been something different in his question than the people that day who had heard Peter's message of the gospel story. Because this is what Jesus said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you, were, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, 
Uh, which ones? The young man asking, answer, asking back, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, the danger that we see in this story that we just read here of this rich young man is the danger of money and possessions, because those money, that money and those possessions can actually drive a wedge between you and God. You know, even though this rich young man, <clears throat> excuse me, had good intentions, he could not follow Jesus because he couldn't give up what he had. You know, the example that we see here from Scripture and this young, and this young man and his great wealth is this. You know, basically, this, this is not a story of salvation. Okay? This isn't a teaching on salvation. It's not saying that, that your salvation is dependent upon you giving up all of your worldly possessions like this story, right? However, what we see in this story, this is the point, that Jesus perceived the heart of this young man. And, you know, in, in the Gospels, we see this open over and over. In, in Luke chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus perceived the hearts and the minds of those who were questioning him one time. He said this, he said, uh, Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Okay, so he was able to perceive the heart of man. He perceived the heart of this young gentleman. He could see what was holding him back. He saw the attitude of his heart towards what he owned and where he found his value. The young man found his value in what he had acquired in his time on this earth. And he depended on his own righteousness and his own righteous acts. He says these, he says, all these I have kept, speaking of the commandments, what do I still lack? So when Jesus cut to the heart of the issue, the heart of this story was the young man's heart, just like that widowed lady. You know, the attitudes of these two key characters that we find within these stories are, are vastly different. On, on one hand, we see a lady with a willing mind and a willing heart followed by willing action. On the other hand, we see a young man with a willing mind, but an unwilling heart, followed by, an, by unwilling action. Uh, again, as he refused to give and follow Jesus. The poor widow, she gave from her heart with joy, with joy that she had something, anything to give to the Lord. The rich young man had everything. He had everything to give, yet he gave nothing. He was filled with sorrow that he might have to sacrifice to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus understood the heart behind these two people. And he, and, um, and he wanted us to know and experience those two stories so that we could see and learn 2,000 years later from their reaction. You know, the humble joy of giving from the poor lady or the pride-filled sorrow of that rich young man. He wanted us to see the heart, uh, see to the heart of their giving. So my question for you today is what is the attitude of your heart in giving? What is your attitude? You know, I talked to a, a gentleman this, 
well, I guess it was about 10 days ago or so, he came into my office and he wanted to share with me a story. And he's an elderly gentleman who lives on a very fixed income, him and his wife, very fixed income. And he wanted me to know that, uh, he wanted to share a story, and his story was this. He said, we decided just recently, about a month ago, to increase our giving. We don't have extra, <clears throat> but we decided we needed to give more. And so we did it in faith. He goes, uh, we weren't sure how we were going to pay all our bills, but we did it anyways. And he said, I wanted to share with you what happened. He goes, within a couple days, I, I received something in the mail, and it was about from an insurance company. And he said, I, I just decided, I'd just give it a call. It was a, just an advertisement, but maybe they could save me a few dollars. And he called him up, and the insurance company was able to save him about $30 a month. And he, then uh, a little bit later, he was, uh, his phone broke, and he went into his phone company, and they wouldn't fix it for him, so he had to go to a different phone company. And he found out that he could be paying like way less for his phone bill than what he had been paying. And so he switched plans. And he said, with just a few different things that happened all at the same time, within a couple days of that decision, they had totally made up, plus some, what they had decided to give in excess. It's an amazing story. And he didn't come to tell, tell me that story, to pat himself on the back but to share how God had blessed him and encouraged his heart as he had decided with joy to give a little more than he had. So when it comes time to give, what is the attitude of your heart? When it comes time to give, is your heart generous? In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, it says, Give generously to him, to the Lord, and do so with a, without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hands to do. And this is what, we saw, what I saw this week, this, excuse me, a week and a half ago with this gentleman. He had, he had a generous heart. And because of the generosity of his heart, he saw the faithfulness of God at work in his life. And God provided. When it comes time to give, is your heart filled with joy? In 1 Chronicles chapter 29.9, we find a, a little story here of, of King David, and he was raising money. He was, he was actually kind of taxing the people so that they could build a temple, a testimony to God, a physical testimony to the God that they served, but it would cost the people dearly, and it cost him dearly. In this passage in 1 Chronicles 29.9, it says, Then the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. For they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart, and King David also rejoiced greatly. They took joy in the fact that they had the privilege of giving, much like that widow lady. When it comes time to give, what's the attitude of your heart? When it comes time to give, is your heart cheerful? In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Back when I was uh, still in children's ministry, uh, we used to sing a song when we'd collect offering each week. And we tried to teach into the, kid, the kids the habit of giving and the heart behind giving. The song was called God Loves a Cheerful Giver. Anyone remember that song? Anyone? Uh, our version went something like this. I know there's a couple different ones out there, but uh, it said, God loves a cheerful giver. Give it all you've got. Even when you're down and out and in an awful spot. When the odds are up against you, it's time to stop and sing. Praise God. 
to praise Him is a joyful thing. Giving is a, is a joy. It should be a joy of our heart. And there can be joy in giving. It's up to you. It's up to you to decide that your heart's at what your heart's attitude is going to be. You have the privilege and honor of giving to the Lord. And that's really the key. Our giving is to God. It's not to a pastor. When you give, it's not to me. It may help support the salaries, but it's not to me. When you give, it's not to the eldership, so they decide where the funds are going to go. When you give, it's not to this church. That's where the money's spent, most of it. You see, when we surrender our heart to Christ, and we have the attitude of that poor widow, that we'll give from anything that we have. And when we surrender every part of our lives to Christ, not holding on to something like that rich young man, when we surrender everything and we give to the Lord of our time, of our talent, and our treasure, the joy follows. It follows. See, we have the opportunity to give to our Creator. We have the opportunity to be generous with our Savior. We have the opportunity to be faithful to the one who is our faithful provider. And through giving, we can express our gratefulness and our love and our joy in him. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we get to serve you. Father, you sent your son to serve us, to give to us, to give us grace and mercy and love. And Father, we reflect that generous heart that resides within you by giving here today. We give our worship. Father, this week we've given you our our thanks. We've given you our time as we prepare for this day. We've given you our talents as we serve you faithfully. And here in just a minute, Father, we give of our treasure. And we ask, Father, for all of those things as we desire to be a, 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 a people with generous hearts, with joyful hearts with cheer-filled hearts, the opportunity to give more. And so, Father, we ask that we will be defined by the generosity and joy of our heart this week. In Jesus' name, amen.